This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And last week we began part one of an in-depth conversation with New York Daily News beat reporter and columnist Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News. This week we dive into part two. And Manish, I want to shift gears a little bit because you said before that the fans think they know you, but they really don't. And it's funny because when I opened this up for suggestions, I went on Twitter and said, hey, does anybody have anything that they would like me to discuss with Manish? A whole bunch of people, and I, I kind of laughed, but this kind of made me sad too, said, does Manish realize how much so many Jets fans hate him? And to me, that was kind of weird because you don't know the guy like you said, so why would you say you hate him? I think really what it is is they hate the public persona that they think they know. So I wanted to ask a little bit about you and how you got your start and your journey to the position that you're at right now and everything that you've done. So tell me a little bit about that. Did you start out as a little kid wanting to be a writer? Is it something that developed as you got older? Tell me about your journey that landed you at the New York Daily News covering the Jets. Uh, well, I wanted to be Don Mattingly, if I'm being <laughs> perfectly honest with you. Uh, I wanted to play baseball growing up, and, and I played through high school, but uh, uh, not beyond that. But, uh, yeah, look, I've always played sports. Uh, I, I played basketball. Basketball is the, the sport that actually – play the most uh did i want to be a writer that's a you know that's a great question i, I would say no uh, I, I come from a family of engineers i think some of the smartest people that i've met in my life are <laughs> but probably the two smartest people i've met in my life are my dad and my brother and my brother is probably no 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 disrespect to my dad so dad if you're listening i'm sorry uh <laughs> but my brother is the smartest guy i've ever met in my life and he's you know he's he's an electrical engineer mba he's just just a a science and business-minded guy. So, no, I I did not know that I wanted to be a writer when I was a kid. I, I had no idea. Uh, my writing career started out the, at a local paper covering high schools, uh, and then, you know, fast forward to I worked at the New, uh, the Newark Star-Ledger, which technically, I guess, is NJ.com now, and I covered uh, I covered college sports, uh, college basketball. I covered Seton Hall for a long time. I had some really good relationships with the people that I – that I knew there. I covered actually one of the probably one of the more enjoyable beats that I covered in my career was the Rutgers women's basketball team. Uh, C. Vivian Stringer is uh, somebody who I have an immense amount of respect for. I learned a lot about covering a beat and and you know forming relationships, uh, <clears throat> things of that nature. Not nearly as competitive, of course, as covering an NFL team. Uh, but I also was a free was a was a feature writer. Uh, so I wrote long form. I didn't actually break any news. That wasn't really part of my job. Uh, it's funny because I was the backup Jets writer when I got to the Star Ledger, and uh, uh, Herm Edwards was still coaching. It's still a long time ago. Uh, Herm <laughs> Edwards was still coaching. I had to drive out to Long Island. They had the, the, this rinky-dink uh, press room, which you know pales in comparison to what's at the, the Jets facility now. I was the backup Jet writer for. Uh, uh, a guy who I consider a mentor, Dave Hutchinson, who no longer covers sports for the for NJ.com, but he was a longtime Jet Speed writer. He kind of helped transition me to you know from feature writer to reporter, interested in news and breaking news and things of that nature. I learned so much from him, uh, I, and so I kind of eased my way to the Jet Beat. So I, I think the first year, like I said, I was you know covering the Jets maybe once a week on Fridays when Herm was there to the end of Herm's. Uh, tenure 
and then uh, I covered the team a little bit more frequently as Dave Hutchinson's backup, uh, covered home games, uh, and then uh, when Hutch, uh, as, we, as everyone calls him, when, when he went to get off the beat, I actually took over at the Star-Ledger as the Jets beat writer for, I want to say, about a month. I think I was the lead Jets beat writer for the Star-Ledger for about a month, and then uh, you mentioned uh, Rich Semini earlier. Rich, had, you know, had covered the daily, uh, covered the Jets for the Daily News for so long, uh, for as long as I can remember. I don't know, fifteen years at that point, maybe even longer. Uh, he went to ESPN New York because ESPN New York started. That that was the the birth of ESPN New York, and then the Daily News uh, sports editor at the time left the Daily News and went to ESPN New York. So he hired Rich to to be the first and to this, to, you know first and only Jets beat writer for ESPN New York, so an opening uh, was there at the Daily News. And so, uh, and I'm name-dropping media guys here, but uh, so I interviewed for that job. Uh, Rich actually had said some good things to uh, the, the new sports editor or the, the, you know, the sports editor at the time at the Daily News. Uh, Rich and I got along well, and you know, I didn't know him particularly well, but I did a lot of feature writing and feature stories of Jets players. And so Rich gave me a recommendation. I got recommendations from you know, a bunch of other people, and it actually, the job actually came down, and maybe I'm breaking news here, I, I don't know, I don't even know if it's out there, but the job came down uh, to, between me and Mark Canizaro, who was mm. the long time, yeah, he had covered the Jets for an extremely long time at the New York Post. Uh, they offered the job, I believe, uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure about this, I know that, yeah, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure that they offered the job to, to Mark, and uh, he ultimately decided to stay at the Post, and then, you know, Plan B, I guess, was me. <laughs> so they offered the job. They offered the job to me, and you know, obviously, I took it. And uh, it was just an incredibly fast transition for me because uh, this was back in uh, 2010, I believe. I guess it was Rex's second year because I had been the Hutch's backup uh, Rex's first year in '09. And in, in ten, I believe 2000. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it was 2011, but. There's a lot of Darrell Rivas stuff happening. That's what. That's what, definitely what I remember when I got on the, the the jet beat. There was so much Rivas stuff happening, and then I don't know if it was that first year or the second year when Darrell had that 37 day holdout. Uh, yeah, I got. I, I jumped right in, you know. And and SNY had a partnership with the, the Daily News at the time, so I, I guess my career took a completely different turn from you know, covering colleges on a much less competitive level and being a feature writer. I'd also gone to three Olympics at the at, at the Star-Ledger. I went to the, the Athens Summer Games. I went to Beijing. Uh, I covered the, uh, the Vancouver Winter Olympics for the Star-Ledger. So my career took a completely different turn when I went to the Daily News, and it was all football all the time. While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. 
Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You've been on the Jets beat for almost 10 years now. What's it been like for you covering the team during that time period? You know, it's been a pretty interesting decade covering the team. Uh, and I say this to, to fans when I see them, uh, whether it's uh, you know before a game or a practice, you know, whenever I bump into them. Uh, the most enjoyable time that I've had covering this team isn't when a GM or a head coach gets fired. It's not when they're losing uh double digit games it's actually it was actually 2010 uh, the first year that that I came on the beat and and when the team is winning and and in that and that team as you remember won 11 games so things were riding high for for most of that season mm-hmm. there's just a lot of energy and there's a lot of excitement in the locker room you love coming to work and, and you know players always say that coaches always say that they love coming to work when when they're winning i think that actually holds true for reporters as well it's it's just a great vibe in there everyone's in a good mood uh, and you see, you see people that you have a lot of respect for do well, and, and to me that matters. I, I, I said this, you know, I say this to my, my personal friends. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people, even you know now, 2019. You know, let's let's forget about 2010 when they were winning, but even now, there's people in, in that building. There's there's people in that locker room who I genuinely like, and who I have legitimately good relationships with, and you know you want people like that to succeed. It's just natural. I mean, you know, for me, uh, seeing somebody that I have a lot of respect for do well at their profession is a, a pretty cool thing. So, you know, I'm not supposed to root for the team. I, I don't work, again, I don't work for the team. Uh, you know, my job is a lot different uh, than uh, than uh, Eric Allen, for example. Eric Allen's a great guy. I love it. I love Eric. I love EA. You know, he's a, he's a good dude. <laughs> he has a completely different job. You know, he, sure. you know he's... He's there to to promote the team. My my job isn't to promote the team, but that being said, it's great when things are going well, and that's partly why I, you know I, I I'm excited when uh, and excited you know I'm not cheering because you're you're not allowed to cheer uh, in the press box, but uh, that's why you know when Sam Darnold makes a great play, uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool feeling. Sam Darnold's a, just a tremendous guy and a tremendous person. If you know his family, they're tremendous people. Jamal Adams, the exact same way. Yeah, I wish, and this is not practical, of course, but I wish the fans would have an opportunity to see these guys and talk to these guys uh, you know, outside of the realm of being a fan and a player. Just like have a conversation with these guys. Some of these guys in this locker room, there's a lot of them right now. There's, what, what 90 guys in the locker room. There's so many guys in that locker room, just like genuinely cool cool people that you would probably be friends with regardless of whether they played football. So and those are the types of people that, you you know, internally at least you root for. You don't do it externally because you can't in my profession but you want to see guys like that do well. Uh, I wanted to see Todd Bowles do well. Uh, Todd Bowles is one of the most ethical people I've ever dealt with in my in my career. One of the most genuinely good people, worked hard. Uh, you wanted a guy like him to succeed. You know, same thing with Mike McCagnin. I, I don't obviously I don't know Adam Gase nearly as well. But over time, you know, 
maybe I'll have a relationship similar uh, to that. Uh, and it's just it's just basically on like a you know a man to man level, a human level. It's not really about coach reporter. It's not about source not source. Uh, I can tell you, <laughs> I can tell you that some of the people that I liked the most over the last decade uh, in the Jet Building, you know, they were not sources of mine. They were just you know people that I had a tremendous amount of respect for because I saw that they worked hard and and we had conversations that had nothing to do with football that really resonated with me. So uh, so I do want the team to do well. I do want the organization to be successful. And uh, it's disappointing when they're not successful. But I I can't you know I, I'm not a fan so. I, I, I'm not gonna. I can't. Cur- I, I, I'm not gonna curse somebody if they drop a pass, and I'm not gonna stand up and you know bang the plexiglass on in the press conference or you know, in the uh, press room if somebody makes a great play. That just that's you know I, I can't do that. No reporter should do that. But uh, you know, internally, I, yeah. I mean, there's there's a, there's a bunch of people in that building that I want to see do well. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hooping with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You talked about your job with the Daily News, and it's unique in that you're the only major beat writer for this team that has the dual responsibility of being a beat reporter and a columnist. And being a long-form columnist is something that you had a lot of familiarity with, as you said, before you got to the Daily News. Tell me a little bit about how you balance those two aspects of the job because it's something that most beat reporters don't have to do, and I'm sure that there's a fine line you have to walk. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it is tough. Uh, It's not like it was 10 years ago, certainly not like it was 20, 30 years ago, where the general columnist or the columnist uh, can say whatever they want. They're typically not around, so you're not really accountable. You know, Maybe you drop in every now and then into the locker room or go and talk to a coach at a press conference. But by and large, you can kind of shoot from the hip and and not have to face the music, you know, for lack of a better phrase. And there have been times over the the, de- the past decade where, you know, I wrote something critical and it got picked up, uh, uh, it got it got a lot of buzz, and and you got to walk into the locker room and some people aren't happy with you, and, you know, and players, you know, maybe coaches aren't happy with you. I can't tell you how many times Rex was uh, was, was pissed. He was flat out pissed at me for something that I wrote, and not because it wasn't right, but just because because I wrote it. You know, I, I it, it, it's it's a it's a difficult thing to do to be critical of a, of a person and then have to face them, uh, you know, for the rest of the season. I, I always tell players and coaches and front office people, uh, if you have any kind of issue with anything I wrote, just you know, give me a call. Tell me if you see me in person. You know, tell me in person. Whatever, just be direct with me and say, "Hey, Manish, now I think maybe this was a little bit rough. You know, I don't think this was fair because of A, B, and C." And, and I'll listen. Uh, you know, and, and I'm not always right. Of course, I'm not always right. I'm human, right? So I'm going to make mistakes. And, and when I say mistakes, I mean maybe in in my characterization of something because maybe I didn't know something about a particular situation. So, for example, I always tell players. Uh, and I, you know, I tell players over time, you know, when you get to know somebody, 
Look, hey, I, I, I'm going to be critical about you uh, about what just happened. Maybe it's after a game. Maybe it's on you know on a Wednesday uh, after a game. Uh, so I'll come up to a player and I'll say, Hey, look, you know, I gotta, I'm going to hammer you on this because this is what I think happened. If there are any extenuating circumstances behind the scenes that I should know about, tell me. It's basically one of those like speak now or forever hold your peace because if you give me that information, I'll have a better sense of what I'm writing. And all I want to do is to have accurate information so I can form an intelligent opinion. Like I want an informed opinion, not some opinion out of left field, not something that's not rooted in reality. Now, I, I'm not going to divulge where I got the information from, but it, like, if, you know, for purposes of this conversation and in the example that I just gave you, if a guy is playing terribly and, uh, and I and I come up to him and I say, "Hey, man, you're getting torched." You know, I'm speaking up the position, the cornerback. You're getting torched left and right here. You know, I, I'm I'm going to write about it. I mean, do you want to talk to me on the record about it? Is there anything that that I should know about that could, you know, maybe uh, give me a better understanding of why you're playing poorly? And maybe and this has happened in the past. I'm not saying it's happening now. It hasn't happened this off season, but. This has happened in the past and during my time covering the team. I've had players tell me, hey, you know, I'm dealing with a groin injury or I'm dealing with, you know, uh, a sore hamstring and it's really bothering me, but I don't want to tell anybody and I don't want you to write that I got a sore hamstring because I haven't told my position coach. So I just want to let you know this is what's happening behind the scenes, so this is kind of why I'm struggling. So that's great information for me. I'm not going to leave that conversation and tweet out, you know, player X has a, a groin injury that he's not telling anyone about. I'm not going to do that, but I'll have a better idea of why he is struggling, which might prevent me from writing the story that I originally wanted to write when I walked into the locker room. That happens time and time again. You just have to be fair and responsible to the people that you're going to write about, and you have to talk to them in advance and, and give them a heads up. I, oh, I give guys heads up. Like, I mean, I don't want to say 100% of the time because sometimes it's, you know, unavoidable. But most of the time, I, I don't want somebody to be surprised that I'm writing about them. I will say, hey, I'm going to write about this. And, you know, if, if there's anything you want to tell me, go ahead, tell me. I'm, I'm all ears. So that's the only way to approach it. And if you don't approach it that way, then you're not being fair. Uh, and when I say fair, I don't mean quote-unquote positive. I just mean fair. You can write a critical story about somebody, and as long as you're fair with them, uh, they can be pissed at you, but if the information is right, the information's right. I mean, that, that's that, that's what I try to convey to these guys. And it gets look, it, it's not easy because I'm considerably older than these guys. These, you know, some of these guys could be my my son. <laughs> that, that's the age difference, right? But if you're just upfront with them, I, look, it, it doesn't work with everyone because everyone's personality is different, right? But my position has always been. Just be brutally honest with these guys and be straightforward. You know, that's just my nature. That's how I've always been. Um, and, uh, you know, 99% of the time, these guys, they're not going to be babies about it. Some guys have been extremely sensitive through the years, and they can't take any hint of criticism in print. And, okay, that's them. I, I cannot change them. But what I can do is give them every opportunity to tell me that I'm wrong before I write something. And if they do, and if it's persuasive, and I think that they're not BSing me, then, you know, I'll, I'll take it into consideration. I might not even write the story. I, there's been plenty of times throughout the years in which I came in with an idea that I was going to write a story, I talked to a player, talked to a coach, talked to somebody else in the building, and I didn't write it because, you 
know, I didn't have all the information, and the information that was just provided to me uh, was enough for me to say, hey, you know what, it would be unfair if I wrote this. And so that's just how I approach my job. Hey, guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. You mentioned how everybody has a different personality, and obviously everyone brings part of that personality to their job, and in your case, it's going to be very prominent in your work because you're writing very publicly. You have 75,000 followers on Twitter, so when you tweet something, people will see that, and they can read into it, and I want to ask you about that because we talked a little bit before we started recording about pro wrestling. I'm a huge pro wrestling fan. I'm not sure if you still are, but I know at one time you certainly were, especially from the gifts that you post, it's obvious to anybody. The Stone Cold Steve Austin one, which is one of my favorites. I use that a lot myself. But is there some sort of aspect to both your writing and your tweeting and the things that you say publicly that has a bit of a pro wrestling bent to it? And what I mean is the old adage in pro wrestling is take a piece of your personality, crank it up to a thousand, and that's how you get to that character that you're looking for to break through. Is that part of what you're doing when you're writing? It's not just writing, but also injecting that personality in there and cranking it up to a thousand? <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, Scott. That might be one of the top five questions that anyone's ever asked me <laughs> in my career during an interview. I, I've never heard anyone put it that way. I don't do anything like that intentionally. Uh, again, I'm just like a very passionate person. Uh, even when we have like discussions uh, among uh, you know, among my friends about sports, because I talk about sports uh, just like you do with your your, your buddies. Uh, I am very loud in my in my opinion. <laughs> Whether it's on, on text with my buddies, you know, I have text change with text chains with friends. Uh, you know, I'm a huge Sixers fan. I think people people uh, already know that. But uh, you know, all my buddies who are Sixers fans, they, we you know we will be watching games and texting each other if we're not at a bar together. And uh, I have very loud and strong opinions. I don't know if my love for wrestling when I was a kid uh, is the reason why that is the case. Uh, it's not, you know, it's not something intentional or conscious, uh, but I, I do try to have some fun on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't try to have some fun on Twitter, then Twitter is a miserable place. And I, I, and I say this to my friends all the time as well. I would be an extremely happy person if I woke up tomorrow and Twitter was destroyed. Like someone like, you know, just blasted Twitter away somehow. Somebody hacked it, and, and, and there was no Twitter anymore. I am not a huge fan of Twitter for a million different reasons. Chief among them is that you really can't have a discussion with somebody that you don't know mm-hmm. because you're talking about 100 and, I don't even know, what is it 144 characters, whatever it is now. It's snippets of information that you're sending someone that you've never met, someone you don't know, for all you know, and no disrespect for, like, no, no disrespect to like you know seventh graders, but I got to be honest with you, I I, can't, I don't really have the time or the desire to get into a, a deep discussion with someone who's twelve or thirteen years old or or fourteen years old. And again, no offense to the people those at that age, but uh, it's just very difficult to. And there's a lot of nuance that's lost in on Twitter, regardless of your age. You, you know, 
fans are just very passionate people. I, I mean, I, I'm just going back to what I said a, a little bit earlier. They're just so passionate that they don't want to believe that things aren't perfect. And but look, the last time I checked, the Jets won, what, 14 games over the last three years. So things haven't been perfect uh, for, for this organization. And I just so happen to be covering this organization. If I was covering the Patriots, I, I think it would be a little bit different. Yeah, I'm sure I'm going to rub Jet fans the wrong way by even saying that. But if I <laughs> if I covered the Patriots all these years and they were winning championship after championship, uh, it'd be a little bit different. But uh, I, I think there's a lot of I just think there's a lot of misplaced <laughs> anger toward reporters, and there's a lot of people who are easy targets among that group of the fan base. It's not everyone, and I don't think it's fair to even say that. Uh, the, you know the the fans on Twitter, whether you know whether you know they they spew vitriol toward me or like me. That that whole group is a small segment of the Jet fan base. There are so many Jets fans out there. Even the the number I think it's, I think the Jets have over a million followers, right, on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's over, and that is a fraction of the fan base. That million is a fraction of the fan base. So Twitter isn't necessarily, in my belief, representative of the entire fan base. It's just a very passionate group, and I respect the passion. I've always respected the passion of of not only Jet fans but Patriot fans who come after me pretty hard, Bills fans who are just as passionate as Jet fans, objectively speaking. Uh, I respect the passion. I just think that it's very difficult to get in any kind of meaningful discussion with somebody on Twitter. Back, it, it just, I, I've tried it over the last 10 years, and you know something gets lost in translation, whether it's something that I'm losing in translation or something that the fan is losing in translation. Uh, but again, I, I just think that my, my job is not to, to be a cheerleader. Now, do I want them to be successful? As I said, yes, I do want them to be successful, but I can't shy away from being critical of them. Uh, and there is no avenue or pathway for a Jet fan to communicate with Adam Gase or to communicate with Christopher Johnson. So there is a pathway to communicate with me. So, you know, if they're upset about something, I'm sure... You know, it's a lot easier for them to take it out on me versus, uh, I, I don't even know, writing a letter. I don't even know how they would get a hold of Christopher Johnson or Adam Gase. So uh, you know, I, I understand that part of it. Uh, what I will say is this, and this is not just, uh, this is not specific to me. It's, it's everybody who covers the team, since we're talking on a Jet podcast, is that I would be mindful of taking personal shots at reporters, I, you know, there's I, there's plenty of instances that over the last decade where I know that a reporter, you know, was going through a personal issue, uh, maybe a family issue, and uh, fans obviously don't know that, and, uh, and you know, maybe they took shots at, at at a particular reporter, not me, but you know, took shots at a particular reporter, not knowing that you know these people, you know, they have families, you know, they're, they're married, they have children, and. Uh, you know, we're covering football for a living, right? So if you're that angry at at uh, a beat reporter because you disagree with a, an opinion that they have on a football team, I I think that says a lot about you and not the reporter. I mean, there are a lot a lot of cool things about being a fan. It's great, you know. I, I, you know I, like I said, I grew up with. I'm a huge Sixers fan to this day, but I think that there's some people on Twitter that lose perspective and take it to an area that doesn't need to be taken to. I've gotten, you know, uh, you and I were talking before we started the interview about blocking people. Uh, I blocked a lot of people when I first got on Twitter, and I blocked everyone, I think, I don't know, a year and a half, two years ago, something like that. Uh, I, I tried not to block as many people, 
uh, in fact, it's a, it's a fraction. I don't even know what it is, but it's it's a small number of people that I've actually blocked. I will mute people if things get personal, if they cross the line uh, and get and get racist. I, I've gotten that time and time again over the last decade. And I'm not asking people to feel sorry for me. That's not the point. The point is that I think that fans need to. Uh, I would hope that fans would keep things in perspective. If they're if they don't agree with a football opinion that I have or that another reporter has, just realize it's it's a football opinion. There there are a lot more important things in uh, in their life and my life that uh, you know we should consider. This is the Overtime Podcast Network. I think that oftentimes people forget that there are human beings on the other end of these attacks. And we've seen this many times. You remember, of course, I'm sure what happened with John Idzik and how some people made that very, very personal. And it's not just John Idzik. I mean, with this franchise and with plenty of other franchises, you could go back. I still remember all the things that were said about Joe Walton. And even though these are fairly prominent public personalities, you still got to remember that there is a person on the other end of that. And that's why... I thought it was kind of over the line, and I wanted to bring this up to you as we get into some of your more controversial moments. When you went on Twitter and said what you said about Muhammad Wilkerson, now, obviously we know what just recently happened with him, but I think that when you went on Twitter and said, quote, Wilkerson is getting some terrible advice. The last place he should be near, given his issues with alcohol, is Bourbon Street, French Quarter. Who is advising this guy? It just felt like a gratuitous cheap shot to me and to a lot of other people because I didn't see that there was any real news value in that. Could you understand where we're coming from, especially after you just talked about some of the unnecessary personal things that were said about you, which I completely agree with should never have been said. Do you see why some people might have been rubbed the wrong way by that and said, why is he doing this, especially since Mo wasn't even on the Jets anymore? And listen, we all know what the whispers were, but was there any real newsworthiness to revealing that or to saying that on Twitter? Well, I understand your point. Uh, and to that, I will say without telling you who, who I spoke to, I had two friends of Mo Wilkerson bring that point up to me. And one of them asked if I, if I could at least make it clear that New Orleans would probably not be a good spot for him, given the fact that he had, had issues with alcohol. The other thing that I think is important with that particular uh, story is that at no point, because I don't know and I don't believe this is true, but at no point did I say that Mo Wilkerson was an alcoholic. And I think that people took that tweet, and I know that there was at least one prominent radio host in the city who took that tweet and concluded that I said that Mo Wilkerson was an alcoholic, which I never did uh, because, again, I don't believe that's true. No one's ever actually told me that, so I, I don't believe that's true uh, based on the information that I had. Uh, but, yeah, there were two friends of Wilkerson's who reached out to me before I tweeted that. Uh, it is unfortunate what happened uh, with his DUI. His issues with alcohol were, were well-known in the building, uh, and, again, there's at least one prominent radio host who said that he was unaware of that and took gratuitous shots at me, I don't know if he was intimating that I made this up, but clearly I did not make it up. Uh, it's a visceral topic. So, you know, getting back to the premise of your question, how you thought it was, you know, unnecessary. Uh, anytime you invoke alcohol and a player, you know, it, it is. I, I do understand your point. I guess I'm answering your question this way. Mm-hmm. I understand your your point. Uh, I will also say again, there are people close to him, friends of his, who thought it was. A ridiculous notion of him even considering playing 
uh, for the Saints, which he ultimately didn't. But uh, that was the that was the motivation initially uh, for for what uh, what I tweeted at that time. I know you didn't straight up call him an alcoholic, and that's not what I was saying. But you can understand why somebody would look at that tweet. And the implication would be to them that you're sort of going down that road of implying that Mo has serious issues with alcoholism, right? Again, I'm not saying that's what you outright said, but you could see where somebody would think that that's what that tweet was implying, yes? Well, look, I think issues with alcohol and alcoholism are two distinct things. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're two different things, and it, I think alcoholism is a disease. I'm not saying that Mo Wilkerson... Uh, you know, has that disease? I don't know, so I, I am not going to say. I don't know where he stands uh, right now. I just know that there were people uh, that know him that thought that you know going to New Orleans would not be uh, a good spot for him. And hopefully, you know, I, I don't know Mo Wilkerson particularly well, even though I've been around him in limited instances over. I don't even remember what five years, however long he was with the Jets. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, I do understand your position. And I, and I do understand that uh, everyone is entitled to their, their opinion, so I, I'm, I'm not going to say that somebody should not react a certain way. What I can only say, and what I've said all along, is that he had some issues. You know, part of those issues prompted him to miss a practice. So th- th- these were this was an issue that affected his football career. It's not a, a, an issue that had no impact on football. If there was something that was happening behind the scenes, not Wilkerson only, but anybody, uh, that doesn't impact their job performance, that's none of my business. I, I, I don't, I don't want to know about that. I'm not going to report on that. I'm not going to shed any light on that. But once it bleeds into football, once it bleeds into your, your performance, and clearly if you do not, do not show up for a practice because of something stemming, because of an issue stemming from alcohol, that to me is relevant as, as a reporter of the team. Again, if there was personal issues that have no impact on him being a football player or, or, or uh, you know, take him out of the equation, if you're any player and you've got personal issues and they don't impact your, your, your attendance, your performance, and performance is kind of a gray area, but clearly your attendance is something that's mandatory. If you're not showing up for events because of something happening, that makes it relevant for someone in my position. And that will wrap up part two of our in-depth discussion with New York Daily News beat reporter and opinion columnist Manish Mehta. We'll have part three coming up next Monday. In the meantime, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already on iTunes or Stitcher or Google Play, wherever it is that you download your podcasts. And if you could, please leave a five-star review on iTunes. It doesn't take much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it really helps us out a lot because it increases our visibility. And it makes it a lot easier for us to bring you the great guests that we do on a regular basis here course as i said before this show will always be free of charge the content that you're hearing on a daily basis will always be free of charge on play like a jet i don't ask for much but if you could do this for us it would be greatly appreciated don't forget to subscribe to joe caparoso's turn on the jets podcast and to our youtube channel turn on the jets tv where you will see all of joe blewett's great film breakdowns Our YouTube channel just hit over a 1,000 subscribers, so great job by Joe Blewett building that one up. Well-deserved. He's got an incredible 150-play review of Sam Darnold coming your way very, very soon. 
I can't wait to watch it. We're also going to have him on Play Like a Jet to talk about that as an episode of XNO Quick It. So that should be fantastic as well. Joe Caparosa has been killing it on his podcast too. He just recently did two in a row with the originals, his original podcast co-host, Connor Rogers at Bleacher Report and Dalbin Asario talking about the Joe Douglas hire and all of the fallout there. So if you haven't listened to those episodes yet, Please do, and go ahead and subscribe and leave Joe five-star reviews. Do the same for Joe Blewett if you're not subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, or also to the audio version of his podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, and leave him some awesome reviews. If you haven't yet, go ahead into our archives and check out the latest content that we have available at Play Like a Jet. I dug in deep on the Jets' new general manager, Joe Douglas. You can find a bunch of episodes That include talk of the three stops that he made in his NFL career, first in Baltimore, then in Chicago, and then in Philadelphia. For Baltimore, I spoke to Matthew Stevens and Walla O'Denerin from Ravens Wire at USA Today. They gave an outstanding breakdown of the time that Douglas spent in Baltimore, including some of the great players that he really championed drafting while he was there, one of whom is going to be a familiar face. That, of course, is C.J. Mosley. Learned a little bit about Joe Douglas's one year in Chicago. It was brief but important because that is where he met Adam Gase and forged a relationship with him, and you can get that in our Meet the Candidates Champ Kelly edition with Zach Pearson of BearReport.com. I know it sounds weird that that would be in a Champ Kelly podcast, but remember, Champ Kelly, Joe Douglas, Adam Gase all work together with the Bears. So while I had Zach on to talk about Champ Kelly, I also asked him a little bit about Joe Douglas and, of course, did a really thorough review of Joe Douglas's time in Philadelphia with Vince Quinn of WIP Radio in Philadelphia and the Go Birds podcast. A lot of fantastic information there, too, including some real steals that Joe Douglas is a part of bringing into Philadelphia during his three seasons there as VP of player personnel. So hopefully a sign of some things to come as Joe Douglas comes into the New York Jets to take over as general manager. Joe Bam Bam Douglas is on the scene and hopefully he can help turn things around for the New York Jets, especially when it comes to their biggest weakness, which has been finding impactful players in the mid to late rounds of the NFL draft and really successfully building out a roster. Thanks again to Manish Mehta for joining us this week for part two of our in-depth discussion on his life, career, and some of the biggest controversies that he's been a part of. We'll get into part three next week. Until then, thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Turn on the Jets TV. Don't forget to subscribe to Joe Caparoso's Turn on the Jets podcast. Don't forget to leave this show a five-star review on iTunes. Follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.